six is my lucky number. Is it? Oh, a redhead and a blonde. Hi guys. Hello, Hello everyone. And who have we got on the show today? Oh, we've got Nigel Boyle. Nigel. <laughs> Nigel Boyle. <laughs> Nigel Boyle. Nigel Boyle. Oh shit. Oh Nigel. <laughs> Nigel Boyle. <laughs> Nigel. Nigel Boyle. Yeah. That was beautiful. Thank you. And of course, Nigel played DC Buckles H H from Line of Duty. So we'll be looking forward to speaking to him later when he appears on our screen. On a on a audio uh, audio device. and visio device. <laughs> so I've got some frightfully interesting things to tell you, Miss Jellybean. Oh, lovely, lovely. Oh, but first of all, before we do, what about the writer strike? That's causing a few problems. Apparently, SAG are uh, uh, going on strike in sympathy or something, and it's <sighs> all going to get a little bit hairy in the world of scripted going to get a bit i would imagine it probably is having over that there. knock-on effect over here as well yes it I will think, do so. so that's a bit of a budget okay first thing is only three films so far ever have won what they call the top five or the favorite five or the okay. something five. this special five now the special five are the Oscars. If you win, or if your movie wins, Best Actress, Best Actor, Best Movie, Best Director, and Best Cinematographer. That's five. Okay. And only three films have ever won the Best Five. Guess what they are? Oh, thanks. Is one of them Gone with the Wind? No. Well, no. Uh, Frank Capra did one of them. You can guess that one. Okay, it happened. Um, it happened one night. Okay, it happened one night. Yes, it did. When was that? Back in oh, back in the forties. The next one is very ornithological. The birds. Close. The same. Okay, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Well done. That ornithological. Marvelous acting tip. here by Camilla. Yes, as a bird flapping then, her arms. And then the last one. The third of these three films that one was... Shit, I forgot Have I already said that. The Godfather? I don't know whether you did or you didn't, but either way you were wrong. Okay, scrap that. <laughs> scrap that one. Um, oh, no, I remember, I remember, I remember. Okay, tip. Are you oh. feeling all right? Yes. Okay. Okay. Silence of yes! the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs yes. did it. I'm not surprised. That jelly was fantastic. Boo, jelly Boo. It was That's the only book. I, I read the book before I saw the film. Oh, did you? I did. I was on holiday in Portugal and I was terrified just reading the book. Yeah. Was I it had was to a book really good? Did you? I had to check in my cupboard, in oh, my it was room. That mask. I put things against my door. It's yeah. the holy bit in the mask. Yeah. Oh my God. Talking about masks, you know in Halloween, yes. Ma- uh, Michael Myers has got that mask with holes in it, mm. with big holes or whatever. Well, that mask, they had no money when they did that movie. Literally, a budget of 
zero for the art department. So they knit an old Captain Turt mast, you know, from <laughs> Star, Trek, Star Trek. And they sprayed it white and gave it a funny eyebrows and turned it into Michael Myers. <laughs> and that's the one they used. Yes, that's the one they used. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? I bet Captain Kirk was pleased. Oh, he was thrilled. I've got one last thing to tell you. A Go little, on. A little titty Oh, you're full of them today, aren't oh, you? Oh, I am. I am. This yeah. one is funny. You know, the guy that did the sound design for Jurassic Park. Yes. He won best sa- Oscar for best sound design. What he did was he <laughs> had to come up with a good sound for the Velisopritas. Is that that's some sort of flying bird? <laughs> yes, it's a great big flying okay. dinosaur. Back with the bird theme. Oh my again. God, it's very birdy. Right. Um, no, so what he did was he was trying to find a sort of a, a, a ancient kind of um no an ancient unknown sound a sound that no one had ever heard before because nobody has so what he did was he recorded a tortoise shagging what sort of noise is that go and watch the film yes oh my god are you I think Jenny might be a tortoise in a previous life. So what are you going to tell me? Tell me something interesting, why don't you? Um, Yes, well, I'm going to stick with the bird theme, actually. (gasps) Lovely. Being as you've been on birds. Yes. I'm going to be on birds. So the American, in in the um, Shawshank Redemption, have you seen the Shawshank Redemption? Yes, I have, but do you know what? I get so muddled up between the Green Mile and Shawshank Redemption and... Oh, you are a silly Billy, aren't you? You <laughs> yes, are a silly Billy. I am a Billy. silly Billy. You are a silly Billy. But anyway, in the Shawshank Redemption, there's a scene where one of the guys feeds a maggot to a crow. Oh. And apparently, the American Humane Association yeah. made them find a maggot that had died of natural causes to feed to the crow. <laughs> Uh, and they wouldn't have given the no animals were harmed in the making of this film at the end of the, you know, on the credits. Seriously. If they hadn't done that. A How maggot do you find a maggot that died of natural, died of causes. natural causes? How would you know the difference Well, exactly. Between? That's ridiculous. Well, did I tell you that? Um, I'm sure I, did, I can't remember on another show. Who knows? But we did this commercial, and there was, or somebody did, they were shooting a commercial, and there was a lobster... Did I tell you about this? You did tell me about this, yeah. Have I told on the show? No. Okay, well, there was a lobster, so they had to get a vet along to the set um, to make sure that the lobster was okay. And after they finished shooting and everyone went home and the vet went home, they got out the saucepan and had him for supper. Oh, I know, it's just horrible. Sorry. Poor lobster. Poor lobster. It's very Poor cruel. Lobster. Oh, no, very I'm cruel. sorry. Poor yes. lobster. I didn't mean don't to do like it. animal cruelty. I didn't do anything. I don't like animal cruelty. No, I don't either, actually. I'm I really do, sorry, don't. lobster. Nigel. Nigel's arrived. Hi, Nigel. Hi, Nigel. How are you? Hello. Thanks for having me. Hey, Nigel. What's so amazing is that when you were quiet at work with your acting, you were doing casting. You were my casting associate at one stage and a very good one too. So tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that that was interesting, actually. Um, I, yeah, I was, when I left drama school, I did nothing but commercials for three years. Well, I did a lot of them. I I seemed to I booked the first ever commercial that I went for, and whatever it was, I just knew how to do these things. 
And I think I ended up doing, a, I don't really do them anymore, but I did about 100 or 120 in 15 years or so, or 20 years. And I would get penciled more often than not. But there was one day that I, I, I needed some spare cash. And I said to the guy that ran the studio, and uh, I just said, oh, do you need any uh, help on the desk? And he said, do you know what? I need someone tomorrow. Funny you should ask that. So I started doing desk work at one of the studios and then I just fell into it. Then I started doing working behind the camera and filming the auditions. And then I started taking sessions uh, for other casting directors, um, which I actually quite enjoyed because you were in the room and you got to direct actors and it was really good fun. So did doing that teach you things about casting that you didn't actually know before as an actor? Yeah, absolutely. And what I found was that I didn't realise I had those skills, but I was able to tell an actor, look, mate, if you want to get this, this is what you've got to do. You know, you need to be more camera friendly. You need to think technically here and who your audience is. And, you know, you've got to think about the script and how, how you can bring maybe some comedy to it or some, or, or some, uh, some emotion, etc. And I didn't realise I had those skills until I actually started doing it. I was like, well, if I was going for this job, what would I do? And then it was it was kind of quite enjoyable then. Yeah. So how long have you been acting, Nigel? And when did you go to drama school? I went uh, I went in 2001 and graduated in 2002. So I was 24 when I went because I did a degree in business studies first. Uh, I thought that I wanted to be a businessman. And um, I kind of mentioned going to drama school at, um, at home and it was very quickly shouted down, familiar old story. Um, so managed to get into uh, Northampton University. Well, it was a university college at that point um, through clearing uh, on their business studies course. So after my business degree, I realised I wanted to go to drama school. So I came, I finished it, and then I came back to Birmingham and I uh, started doing drama classes at um, Birmingham School of Acting. Uh, it was called Birmingham School of Speech and Drama at the time. Oh, I went there. Really? Yes, many moons ago. I went when I was oh, I was still at school. I was about 15 and I used to go up on Saturdays and have acting classes and take my Lambda exams up there. Yeah, up in Edgbaston. Oh, goodness. I, did, I don't know if you know, know all the teachers. Maybe we'll talk about that uh, in a bit. But yeah, so, um, I graduated in 2002 and... Um, I shared a flat with my best mate who was at the conservatoire. So the, he was studying classical guitar and we shared a flat for a couple of years. And then he turned around one day and said, I'm, I'm, I've been offered a scholarship with this maestro in Germany. And uh, so I'm going there. And he said, I think you should move to London. Uh, so that's what I did. So I moved down to London in 2004. So did you get an agent straight away? Well, I already had the agent from the showcase. So I graduated in 2002 and I got, quite a bit of interest from agents and but I was auditioning from Birmingham so I was basically hiding in the toilets on the train <laughs> and coming down uh, probably two or three times a week for advert auditions and then I'd be on the way back up and they, my, my agent would phone and say well uh, they want to see you again. So what you had to jump out of the train and then catch the next train going back down to London? Yeah well I'd get down there uh, luckily my girlfriend at the time lived in Croydon so I'd, I'd go and stay at hers but yeah, so it was a bit of a pain. So it was, it just made sense to move down in the end. And then do you know what? When I moved down, I was getting seen so much more often because in them days, the early noughties, the you know the advert scene was was kind of massive. 
And you know, I could have two or three auditions in a day and maybe five or six or seven in throughout the whole week. And I'd always see my same cronies in the same room. So we all became really good friends. We all go for coffee or a beer after. So what was your aim? Did you always want to do TV uh, rather than theatre? Because I know you, you've done a lot of television. No, I wanted to, my thing, I wanted to go and work at the Globe. Oh, really? I wanted to do Shakespeare. I seen a play at the Globe. And it really blew me away. And I thought, this is what I want to do. Because when you go to drama school, your comfort zone is theatre because that's probably 70 or 80% of what you do. Yeah. And you have like a, a week or a couple of weeks of TV screen acting, which isn't really helpful. Probably different these days, but back in them days, it, it wasn't the case. So I, I loved theatre and I loved the whole process of rehearsing for four weeks and building a character, bringing some real artistic value to something. But it turns out I, I can count on one hand the amount of theatre that I've done since graduating in 20 years of acting and it's all been telly and commercial. And why do you think that is? I don't know. I really don't know. It's just the way it's happened. And I think theatre circles are very difficult to break into. And I think once, you, once you're in there, it's good and you can build on something. But I've just never really had that opportunity. So what was the first TV series that you worked on? DL and Pasco. So I kind of bumped into Colin Buchanan, who was the younger uh, Pasco character. Warren Clark's unfortunately passed away um, a few years ago, so he was the older DL. Uh, um, but the guy who played Peter Pasco, uh, Colin Buchanan, he lived in Birmingham because that's where it was shot. It was shot at the old Pebble Mill Studios. And um, I met him at, while I was at drama school. There was an advert looking for people to read, do a table read for a film. And of course, by the time I, I was at drama school, I was as keen as mustard. So I was up for anything. So straight away, I was like, yeah, yeah I'll do that. And it was great because I met Colin there and uh, he came to see my play at drama school and uh, offered me a job on the back of that. Wow. He said, I'm directing, that they've let me direct two episodes of Yell and Pasco, but I'd love you to uh, be in it. And also, would you mind being my standing? So standing is basically for when they're directing for you to hit their mark and learn their lines and, and rehearse it so they can see what it looks like on the monitor and see if they need to make any adjustments before they shoot it. Yeah. After your success on um, on Line of Duty, are you still doing commercials or is that a thing of the past now? Yeah, it was quite tricky and it was it was it was a definite decision not to do any more UK ones for the time being because I don't think it looked good when you're on you know something as big as Line of Duty and then you're popping up on a B and Q advert. So I was only doing foreign ones for the for the continent, but now I'm I'm back doing um, some UK ones if they're if they're worthwhile. Basically, just going back to TV series, you were in another really popular one as well recently, weren't you? Peaky Blinders. I loved Peaky Blinders. Yeah, so it took me a long time to get into that, but I finally got into it in series four. Where was it filmed? Was it around Birmingham? No, it was filmed in Cheshire. It's all, it was all up north. Oh, was it? Yeah, I think all of it was done up there. And I only had one episode of it, but it was a really good scene. There was a big shootout on the bridge. And I had um, my scenes with Aidan Gillen and Adrian Brody was in that series. And did you have some decent dialogue? Yeah, one, one scene of dialogue. Um, and it took a whole day to shoot because there was pyrotechnics in there and big shoot out and I got shot in the arm and so it was really good yeah it was really good so if I can just bring back to line of duty for a moment um the last time I saw you Nigel we were running a casting together for Camilla and I asked you about line of duty and if you were doing any more of that and you said to me that there might be a little bit more for your character but you weren't sure not giving anything away so when did you know that you were going to be H and how did they tell you that 
Was it in a a read through with everybody or? No, not at all. So um, what Jed does, um, he uh, so, so he's the sole writer for Line of Duty. There's no one else involved. It's all him. We uh, so they only only release um, the first couple of episodes or maybe three or four. So what they do, they shoot it in three blocks. So two episodes each block. So six episodes in a series. Each block will have two two episodes each. And each block will have its own director. So why would you have a different director? So the, the one director can be in post-production and the edit suite while, while we're shooting the next one. So there's no time lags. quicker to shoot that way. You get varying kind of feels and, and it's good to add a bit of variety to, to the way something looks, I, I guess. And it's also to bring new directors on board, give them a them a chance. So you might have some experienced ones and then some that aren't as experienced but still very talented in what they do. So they'd released, um, when I found out I was in Series 6, um, that was great. And they released, the I think we had the first four episodes. But we were shooting at the beginning of 2019. So we started shooting, the read-through was in February, we started shooting in March and then we got locked down. So we um, we were locked down for about three or four months until we could put protocols in place to resume filming. And then just before we started filming at the end of August, the very last day of August, was um, Jed Mercurio sent me a text saying, can you talk? And he said, don't worry, it's not that cool. And I was like still really nervous. Um, so I said, yeah, sure. And he phoned me straight away. He said, look, we're going to release the, the remaining scripts. He said, but I wanted you to be the first to know that you're uh, you're going to be revealed as someone quite significant. So he said, I, I you know, I just want to let you know, I don't want it to affect your performance, but um, enjoy the scripts. <laughs> I never suspected that you were H. So was Buckles always going to be H? I don't think he knew from, from day one of Line of Duty back in 2010. I mean, it just evolved and evolved. So in Series 5, I think they established that there was a fourth person and I think the H thing was a bit of a red herring because they figured out that it wasn't a H, but there was still a fourth man or woman in the in the ranks that was corrupt. And I think that's where the confusion came for the big reveal. And a lot of the audience said, well, you know, why is he H? And they were expecting this big mastermind. It wasn't the case at all. And Hastings clearly explains that to Carmichael in his office at, towards the end of the episode. He said, the problem's much more fun- fundamental than finding one mastermind. We've just found a, a, a dickhead who's taking backhanders. How many more of these people are there? And it's really interesting because at the end of it, my uh, one of my really close friends is a retired superintendent, and uh, Gary phoned me up and he said, "May, I can't believe it. It's it's amazing. That's exactly exactly how it should be. You know, this there's like how many other coppers are there taking bungs and saying, "I'll oh, forget to sign off this uh, surveillance. I'll oh, just forget to turn that camera on. I'll oh, just forget. You know, it's just negligence. People, no one's gonna. You might get a slap on the wrist, but." You know, there's 20 grand for your troubles. Do you know? So does that happen quite a bit? Well, yeah. Um, yeah, because uh, Jed got all his material from anonymous police forums. So people saying how corrupt different forces are and how badly run they are and how racist and, and, and how corrupt um, these forces are. And, you know, that, that's where he got all his material from. But you must have been really chuffed to know that you were going to be H. Oh, it was brilliant. Yeah, I was delighted because one of the... When I did series one, then I wasn't in series two, I wasn't in series three, and then I just thought this is the end of Buckles, really. But then I'm in series four, and then I had such a good time on that series with Tandy Newton and all the guys that were in that. And then series five happened with Stephen Graham, who's one of my favourite actors, and then I, I, I wasn't involved, and I thought that's definitely it. And then, lo and behold, series six happens, and I'm back in it, 
another promotion to detective superintendent. Yeah, it was just a, a, a real ride. And I always wanted a glass box scene. You know, we call those interview scenes glass box scenes. I thought to myself, I, I really, I've, I've always wanted one of those to be a suspect and be brought in for a big, big interview. And then I got two in one series. <laughs> Brilliant. How long do those scenes take to film? Because they're so intense and so wordy, those interviews. Yeah, I mean, everyone will tell you that they're like mini plays. I mean, I think one of the scenes was about 28 pages long, um, but they take a whole day to shoot. And we, yeah, we rehearse it uh, the night before. So after everyone's finished filming, we all get in the glass box, have a read through with the director, iron out any issues, and then bang, half eight the next morning, we're shooting again straight through till six. Because it's such high quality production values, they shoot every possible angle you can you can imagine. And with a glass, it's a glass box, so the camera setups can take quite a while to make sure you've got no reflections. But um, yeah, and they're quite they're, they're really intense because you don't want to be the actor that drops the ball because we shoot from start to finish in each take each take will have no breaks in it no pickups it's from start to finish wow so no pressure then no, exactly and i did i always wanted one of those scenes but i ended up shooting two in one week so what every night you learn 28 pages of dialogue yeah i don't know if it's a, it's quite 28 but it, it it's definitely long yeah but uh yeah but you 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 would start learning before that when we shot those uh i think we shot them one on a tuesday and one on a thursday and that's all i had that week so plenty of time. And also we were in lockdown, so we were in hotels. We had to isolate for three days before we, we were filming. So Nigel, with regards to your career, what was the outcome with all the line of duty H thing? Uh, in ter- for me, do you mean? Um, yeah, so well, it was crazy. It just went from, you know, one level straight through to another level. My phone wouldn't stop ringing. I was getting invited to... Uh, events sporting events still am really you know getting getting right to a lot of things because it doesn't go away um so have you been given your own personal vip box at villa now then no oh but i've been in i've been in the director's box a few times yeah it's been uh quite different i think lockdown didn't help because lockdown just just put the a stop to everything really so instead of learning lines i was i was you know making sourdough bread and banana bread like everyone else and trying to grow tomatoes on my balcony and stuff like that but um it's been okay so i i I've, I've been working i just thought it'd be a lot busier but it's like i was i was saying earlier um when you're thrust into prominence like that it can go one of two ways people either either everyone wants you or no one wants you at all because no one everyone's a little bit scared and not sure what to do with you and and there's a there's an element of type castability involved with it, I think. And another casting director told me, uh, just take anything you get with both hands because now this writer's strike in America, that's definitely having a kickback um, over here. But um, yeah, I did. I mean, I I did um, Lenny Henry's new uh, drama called Three Little Birds. Oh, cool. So what's all that about and when does it come out? Yeah, well, that's set in the 50s. Uh, it comes out in October, but I was hoping it'd be out because we finished filming um, last October, November time. And it's set in the 50s about three Jamaican girls that come to um, uh, England for a better life and settle in Dudley, of all places. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I play this um, uh, very kind of straight down the line factory owner or foreman uh, called Dougie, uh, who gives them all a job. But uh, I'm all very strict and there's lots of uh, you lot and you people, you know, baby yourselves. And there's lots of uh, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Um, and those kind of connotations. 
which really resonates with me because my parents are Irish immigrants and they came over in the 50s. And I remember my dad telling, telling me these stories. He was looking in the Birmingham Evening Mail for digs and it would literally say no blacks, no dogs or, or, or no Irish. So yeah, so it was really interesting and it's going to be brilliant. Um, it's really, really good. So it's out in October on ITV. And it's called Three Little Birds, and it, it's it's definitely worth a watch. Didn't you do small acts as well? Yeah, I did. I played a, a racist teacher in in that in the in the seventies. Um, big big curly afro, big curly beard. That was a good did to get. Do you know something? That was amazing to work with Steve McQueen. Always been a fan of his work, and to work closely with him as well. And um, yeah, that was a that was a joy to be a part of. And all of them, every every film uh, in that series was, was amazing. I thought. So, if you were going to give some advice to up and coming actors, what would it be? Don't do it. <laughs> no, other than that. Yeah, well, of course, you've got to. I think you've got to be realistic and truthful with yourself to decide whether you really, really want this and whether you really think that you could do this for the rest of your life. And um, if you're good enough to do it, and if you're going to work hard enough at it, and you know, take the hits with the with with the successes. You know, take take rejection. Take you know, being out of work for a long time, and how you got to think about how you're going to do that. If you want to settle down with a family and get a mortgage and stuff, you need to bring uh, money in. Uh, but in terms of advice, I'd I'd say once you got past all that, if you think you, you really want to do it, then just work hard, man, and you know, make sure you know your lines and uh, make sure you're uber prepared for every eventuality, for every audition. You know, don't go in underprepared. You've got to you've got to really put the work in in your bedroom or in your study or wherever or in your kitchen. Sit and and really really do it. And also think about other. Write your own stuff. Do writing. Uh, develop your own stuff. Something I'm trying to do now. Um, and find out other ways that you can earn money that good at and that you can do. Like if if you can sing, I wish I could sing. I'd be out singing at weddings and all sorts if I could sing. You know, um, do, you know, do do what else you can do. I know, I know an actor that's really good at tennis, so he teaches tennis. I mean, it's water off a duck's back for him. And get the best training you can. Get the best training you can. Go to a proper accredited drama school if possible. Do you really think that makes a difference? Absolutely, like a hundred percent. Yeah, I know, I know it does because I know kids that come out of uh, Lambda and Rada and they just get different opportunities than we do. They walk into roles in the West End. They walk into roles at the um at the rsc it's it's definite a red brick ability to to get you seen yeah but even then not everyone's going to get seen and, and have the same opportunities you could have one actor coming out of drama school that goes on and gets everything has a phenomenal career and another one that just of equal talent that just doesn't get a look in at all and and that's hard but rejection is part of the industry and you just have to learn to deal with it as best you can Exactly. Quite right too. Well, this is it. I think I've grown skin like leather over over the 20 years. And I think a lot of that has to do with the amount of auditions and adverts that I did because you'd get penciled and then you'd get back in them days, you'd get heavy penciled. And then there was a, like another level of penciling that was like, right, it's definitely between you and one other person. So it's your passport up to date. Do this, do that, that. And then you don't get it. You know, I was I was literally waiting on a taxi to take me to the airport one Saturday morning and my agent phoned me up and he said, I'm really sorry to do this, mate, but they've they've uh, they've pulled that script and they're going to do the others. I've learned to just as soon as I walk out of the room or as soon as that I finish that self tape, as soon as I send it off, I just forget about it completely. Forget about it. Then if I get it, that's a bonus. Yes, that's true. But then at the same time, when somebody puts themselves forward for a job and you ring up to give them the good news, you know, hey, it's Jamila Arthur here, and I'd just like to let you know that you've been booked, and they're like. 
Tuvalu. They've no idea who I am. Basically, I think they just apply for every job automatically and just hope that it's the, the right coloured height and sex for the brief. But that must be really good uh, to be able to give good news like that. Oh, it's so nice. I mean, the other day I ran somebody up. It was a street casting job. And I ran her up to let her know that she'd been booked for a 10 grand job. So 10 grand for the day. And she'd never done anything like it before. She was so excited. It was great. I love that. It's the best thing about the job. Yeah, I wish, I wish I'd have had someone to teach me about money and about thinking ahead at the time. Because I was booking all these adverts, but I was having a great time. I was in my early 20s. I was out every night and... You know, booking commercials and getting six to ten grand for a day's work, and you know, I'd pay a credit card off and then in full, and then use you know, spend the rest, and then before you know it, the credit card's gone up again, and I still haven't got a house. I mean, that's when I should have bought a house back in them days when they were when they were cheaper. But... Yeah, but we can all look back and say that, can't we? We'd all we all wish we'd saved money earlier. Yeah, but you know, if you do do really well and earn a bunch of money early on, don't just spend it on fast cars and that kind of shit, do put a bit of it to one side. That is good, good sense, good advice, It's Jenny very Bean. good advice, Camilla, it is. Yes. But when you're young, in your 20s, yes. you want to be out partying. You don't I want know. to be exactly. putting money on one side, yeah. saving and for a house, me. do and you? And now look at me. Yes. <laughs> and me. Yeah. But I, I guess my main advice would be be prepared. Like, you can't underestimate how much work you've got to be, how much work you've got to put in just for an audition. What I tell people now is um, okay, you get a script, there's only a short script, but think of like the millions of different ways that you can uh, add subtext to this script and the millions of different ways that someone could direct you differently. So, if you're prepared for all these eventualities, then you're not going to get you know, spooked when you get in there by or blindsided by a curveball, really. Because if you've thought about, well, there's only, listen, there's only at most five or six ways we could do this or, you know, three or four ways we could add subtext to this or, or do that, then, you know, you'll be uber prepared. And, and also people think they don't have to warm up before they go in for TV auditions. I, I, I think it's more important to warm up before TV work and screen work than it is stage work because you can get away with it with stage where with tv see like them close-ups they catch everything so every fluff you do every even if it's just a slight thing then um it's going to show and you have to do it again so in an audition scenario you don't want any of that and if you warm up it just gives you that much more confidence i think and i always meet someone in town before i go in to read through the lines you know obviously i've memorized them and i always meet someone for a coffee for an hour before and just batter it so that when you're walking in, you're firing on all cylinders. Then you don't get the opportunity to have in-person meetings at the moment. So you've got to be able to do all that from a self-tape. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it is ever actually going to come back, not in the same way as it was kind of pre-COVID, because it's so much cheaper. And let's be honest, it's more, it's quicker. It's kind of more efficient than having a whole bunch of people at a casting, which just ends up more expensive. Yeah, so I don't really think, I think self-tapes are here to stay, so get used to them. Nigel, before we say goodbye to you, I just want to ask you very quickly about your twinkle toes, because I've seen you on Instagram dancing away at the Burrow Ball, I think it was. Twinkle toes. Twinkle toes. <laughs> 
You're actually a very good little mover, Nigel. I was very yes. impressed. Your you should hips. have seen him, Camilla. I did. Swinging those hips. I saw his hips move. <laughs> so, so Line of Duty, they won two awards on the NTAs that year. So they got a special achievement award and I think the other one was Best Drama or something. Anyway, so we were, we were at the NTA awards, mingling before the actual awards started. And Rob Burrows was there with Sally Nugent and all the BBC team. And anyway, uh, Sally Nugent, come over to me and said, uh, listen, Rob's a really big Line of Duty fan. Would you come and have a photo with him? I said, yeah, I want a photo with him. Never mind that the other way around. So bless him, he, he, he lost his power of speech by then, um, but he was smiling. He was constantly smiling. So I went down and we had a, we had a really good photo with him. And then he, he's got this technology where he can still tweet and write and stuff. So he wrote to me a few days after and said, I'm trying to build a clinic for motor neurons disease. And I'm doing a, a Strictly Come Dancing event up in Headingley Stadium. Would you be up for it? And I said, yeah, 100%. Uh, what does it involve? And he said, well, you'd have to learn to dance. And he said, you can take it as, as seriously as you want, but we'll we'll uh, sort out a teacher that's local to you and uh, go from there. So I did. So, you know, I met this uh, uh, teacher who was brilliant. Dawn, her name was. Dance to Dawn. So what were you doing, Nigel? Was it the cha-cha-cha? The rumba? The cha-cha-cha? Well, we turned up, because uh, I'm, I'm a massive Strictly fan, me and my wife watch it. I turned up knowing what, what would be a good one, like the jive or something like that. She said, no, I think we're going to do the rumba. I said, are you kidding me? That's the hardest dance. She said, no, nah, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. We had some dance lessons, and then um, we uh, danced the rumba. I think I came on at about 10 past 11 at night. Everyone had had a dinner. There's loads of celebrities there and stuff. And, um, yeah, we danced the rumba, and I got straight tens. Straight tens. Straight tens. Woo! <laughs> Fantastic. Nigel, if they invited you onto Strictly, would you do it? I think you should. I think you would. I think he would. 100%. I love it. It, it, it doesn't have to take over your life, though, I believe. I, I know a few people that have done it uh, and stuff, but that everyone says it, it just takes over because it's it's difficult. So you've got to, you know, you've got to learn a new dance every week. Sounds easy, but... Yeah, but how much work is there actually for that type of dancing? Uh, yeah, well, do you know what? Um, I, th- I think we only danced uh, for like half the songs. So if you watch Strictly, they're long dances. They, they dance for a good three, three and a half, four minutes maybe. I got properly into it. I was watching YouTube clips and everything. Truth be known, I am a little bit competitive. So if I'm going to do something, I throw myself into it. 100% like I auditioned for drama school they said no I auditioned again they said no so I kept coming back you know and I just kept working hard if I if I get a like I'm, I'm like a dog with a bone I won't let go until until I get there and I just you know tell me what to do to make it better and I'll and I'll do that yep that's the best way to be absolutely that's just the right attitude you need but listen you guys you got to let me know when you're in town and we'll have lunch yes we'll definitely do that can I just say how much I love you two together <laughs> It's a date, Nige. Thank it's you so much. No, it's a pleasure. Best of luck with it all. <laughs> okay, take care. Bye, Nige. Bye now. It was lovely. That was great, wasn't I know. it? It's so... weird what Nigel was not weird, but it's kind of oh a bit depressing what Nigel was saying about how, you know, instead of work coming flooding in after his success from Line of Duty is actually got quieter. That's a bit depressing. Well, as he said, COVID doesn't didn't help anything, did it? No. For anybody. So hopefully that will all pick up. Oh, him. I'm sure it will. It should. Because he's very good and talented and, as we know, a lovely person to work with too. Yes, he is. With a very nice wife. A lovely wife. Yeah. Laney. Laney. A very talented wife as well. Shout out to Laney. Shout out to Laney. Laney. 
Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> 